The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about our message today, I'd love for you to send that on a text to 307-316-2023. And then each Tuesday, um, about 11.15, we go on to Facebook Live and kind of talk about things that maybe we didn't cover or um, hopefully your thoughts and your questions uh, from from the message. Um, so about a few months ago, as I was as I was working on this message series, one of the things I do is kind of outline where things are and put them on the calendar. And I was working on that, and I was working on this. Um, actually, I was working on last week's message in particular. Um, you must not murder. And I realized that that was falling on a Sunday. That that I was going to be that I was going to be gone when I was at uh, camp last week. So, so I nervously um, asked Joe if he would come over uh, to to my office in a few minutes, and he did. And I said, so kind of this is what I was doing. And I realized you must not murder falls on the Sunday in June when I'm going to be gone, and I cannot imagine um, anyone on our church staff who is, who is more qualified, who is more ready to talk about that commandment than you. And I also told him that he could take some time to think about it um, and that he certainly had the option for no. And um, we had a small discussion and then he left my office. And about 10, 15 minutes later, he came back over and he said, um, he said, I'll do it. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. I don't know all of the things that you have been through in your life, but I but I believe that God has a plan for your pain. And I think part of that plan is for you to seek the comfort that only God can give so that you can then comfort others in the way that God has comforted you. And that's what Joe talked about last week. That's what Joe did was he had this really awful thing happen in his life. And when we face difficulties, it can be really easy to, to focus inward. Right? And, to, and to wrap ourselves up in the things that have, been, that have been done to us and to wonder, and I think this is okay, to wonder why did this thing happen to me? What am I supposed to learn about this? Why is this taking place? And I love the way that Joe fulfilled that, that instruction from Paul in 2 Corinthians. to Like, how can I turn this around? And use this as an opportunity to demonstrate what God has done in my life. And what do we have as Christians to learn from people like Joe? And that's one of the things I love about our staff here, um, here at Westway is, is God uses each one of our past experiences to proclaim him as Lord. Because even in the midst of a measurable hardship, Jesus, like Jesus is still Lord. Nothing catches God off guard and a few weeks ago, I, 
I shared this quote from author Joy Davidman, and I want to share it again. All principles of conduct must come down in the end to the actual relations of flesh and blood people. See, we can hear, we can hear these instructions from God, and, and, and we can be told that we're supposed to love others and provide comfort for other people. And, and those things sound so easy for us until we have to do it. Until we are put in a position to proclaim God's love. And I think these commandments that we've been talking about for the past several weeks now, they seem so simple and obvious. And because they're simple and obvious, they can at times also be very, very abstract for us until Joe gets up and gives us a dose of reality of what it really means to go through a a time of severe hardship and then to be able to turn that around and talk about love and forgiveness and how we might learn from that. And today's commandment sounds pretty simple. You must not commit adultery. But what does, what does that mean? What do we do with this particular verse? And I think like like you must not murder, like the, that commandment before this one, we are all just tempted to check the box, right? Like of all of the commandments, we haven't killed anyone, okay? And we haven't committed adultery. So, so we just check those boxes. But before we talk a little bit about adultery, and we're only going to talk a little bit about adultery, we might want to understand, have a better understanding of what marriage is because our culture doesn't know. And I'm not just talking about the people who aren't gathered in this room or in other churches in and around the Scotts Bluff area. It's not just the people outside of those spaces that don't have an understanding of what marriage is. According to a 2008 Barna study, Christians have almost the exact same divorce rate as non-Christians. And I would say in the 11 years since 2008, that probably hasn't improved in any way, shape, or form. One of the discussions that, we, that we've been having over the past couple weeks, um, when we've all been together, because we've been in different places, um, Mike pointed it out today that today was the first time that four of us were all in the same room in probably like three weeks, three and a half weeks, something like that. One of the conversations we've been having in our staff meetings is, when we gather together on a Sunday morning for, for our 10-15 time, are we talking about things that, that non-Christians or non-believers just don't care about? Like, when we, when we say the Bible says this about marriage, why would anyone who's not a Christian, why, why would they care about that? Why, why would they care about what the Bible says about marriage? Well, it's, it's not their authority, right? That's like someone saying, hey, the speed limit on Interstate 90 in South Dakota is 80 miles an hour. Yep, and we live in Nebraska, right? So when we think about this, this question, this is really, ever since that question got broached a couple weeks ago, I've really been challenged by it. Why, why would a non-Christian care one single bit about God's plan for marriage? Why would someone who doesn't believe in God or understand or trust the Bible, where would they care about anything we have to say when we qualify it with, this is what the Bible says? 
But at the same time, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who, are, who don't go to church, who aren't connected to a church, who, who maybe aren't Christians. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with those people who, who call the church and want to get married in a church. They want to get married by a pastor. So we have this, we have this paradox going on in our culture. And I think we, one of the things that we can do to kind of wrestle with that paradox is, is talk about Ecclesiastes 3.11. And it says this, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And, and here's, here's what I think that means when we're talking about marriage is, is you don't have to be a Christian to know that there's more to life than what your current existence looks like. I think that's a, I think that's a common thing, whether you're a believer or not. You recognize that there's more to life than what, than what your current existence is. There's, there's something missing. There's a lack of satisfaction. There's a striving that you're doing for maybe a relationship to be better or to get more money. There's, there's something that we want more of, and I think marriage is a really good example of this. So I think for Christians, knowing that our divorce rates are the same as for non-believers, I I think we don't understand what marriage is. And the problem with marriage and divorce and adultery isn't just out there. And if you're not a Christian, I'm really glad that, that today you came to Westway Christian Church. Because, because for some of you, the only thing as a non-Christian that you've ever heard from a Christian is some ranty Facebook post about defend marriage and stand up for marriage. So, so your framework for, for marriage from, from a Christian's perspective is like a three-sentence thing on Facebook without, without explaining what that meant. So what I'm going to do, if, you are, if you're a non-Christian today, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you for your time. And if you have questions, like, I would love to have a conversation with you. That's why we do the text thing. That's why you can contact the office and say, hey, I'd like to talk to John about his sermon on Sunday. These are the things that, as pastors, this is, this is what we do. My, my work week is not summed up in, in this task. I would love to have conversations with you. I want to read from Matthew 19, 1 to 11 with you this morning. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus said? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could divorce his wife, could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. 
Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept that statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So the primary teaching, the primary understanding about divorce in in the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament came from Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1, and it says this. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes her a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away out of his house. There are two main interpretations of this text from Deuteronomy in Jesus' day. The more, the more traditional understanding of this text focuses on the concept of marital unfaithfulness. So if, you're, if your wife was unfaithful to you, you could write her a certificate of divorce, hand her the paper, and send her out the door. But the other understanding focused on the phrase, does not please him. So if she burned his food, for instance, he could write her a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, send her out the door. And see, the Pharisees weren't, some of you are like, man, I'm glad we don't have that interpretation. I mean, my wife never burns my food, so I don't have to worry about that. They weren't asking Jesus because they cared about what side he was on. Or they they wanted to know about the law, or they were trying to protect the woman. They wanted to know what side he was on. And because of that, The Pharisees didn't need a lesson on divorce. They needed a lesson on marriage. He needed to to reorient them as to what marriage was about. So Jesus answers their question by, by talking about the concept of identity in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. Genesis 1.27, Jesus quotes it. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then a little bit later in Genesis 2.24, and these are the quotes like in your Bible when he's quoting the scripture. This is what he's saying. Genesis 2.24 says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So for Jesus, for Jesus, marriage is, marriage is simple. A proper God-honoring marriage is one in which the male and female leave home, they are joined together, and they become one. So when we wonder about what, what does Jesus have to say about marriage, I mean, that's it. It's, it's right here in the text. And they have a new identity, and that new identity is one. So, so they're, not to be, they're not to be separated because they are, because they are one. 
Whenever I meet with a, count, a couple that wants to be married, the material that I use for our premarital counseling comes from a guy named Rob Renow. We've used some of his material for some, for some marriage stuff that we've done here. And I, what I want to do is I want to share with you some things from the first session of that series. Because for some of you, this, this will be the only time you ever hear what, what Christians um, might believe about the purposes of marriage. So, so I'm sharing this with you because I, because I want you to know, I mean, this is just one, op- one, one interpretation. This is just Rob Renow. Um, and I don't think you're going to find anything not biblical in what I'm about to share with you. Okay? So I want you to know what it is that we, I, think about marriage. So here's, here's the very first one. These are all in your bulletin. Marriage reflects the character of God. It's Trinitarian in nature. So just like, just like the Godhead is, is three in one, right? We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's three, and they somehow are one. Marriage is designed to be that, that same thing. It's supposed to be Trinitarian in nature. It's supposed to reflect the Trinity. So there's husband, there's wife, and there's God. And this is, this is why who you marry matters. This is why who you marry matters. And this is why it's really important that as Christians, we only marry other Christians. This is so crucial. I found this um, article last week. It's by a guy named Mike Smith, and I'm just going to just share part of it. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, God designed marriage to be us in partnership with God in ruling creation under his rule. If we don't acknowledge that we're ruling under God's rule— then we're ruling under the rule of an idol or a combination of a whole series of idols. Practically speaking, this impinges on every single decision you have to make as a married couple. For example, how do you decide what you should do at any point in your life? Three questions to ask. Should you do what pleases the Lord? Should you do what pleases yourself? Or should you do what pleases others? See, if you're a Christian, question one, should I do what pleases the Lord? That trumps everything else. Should I do what pleases the Lord? Trumps, should I do what pleases me? Or should I do what pleases you? If, if I'm a Christian, like Jesus is number one. That's the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. But for the non-Christian, there's only questions two and three. What pleases me and what pleases someone else? And if you are a Christian in that relation, and, and like, this is real life. I've been in enough conversations, not just with people in this room, but I've been in enough conversations with Christians in the 20 years of ministry that I've been doing. Like, this is real life. There are some of you right now who are, who are living in this space. So if we are Christians, we want to marry other Christians because Jesus needs to rule. God needs to rule. God is in the midst of a marriage in which both husband and wife are Christians. Because God can call us to accountability and can call us to true love, can call us to acceptance of one another. Here's the second purpose of marriage. 
Marriage is a picture of God's love for us, of sacrifice and humility and forgiveness. Marriage is filled with sacrifice. If you're married, you know that marriage is filled with sacrifice. I'm constantly sacrificing my will and my wants to my wife. And she is constantly sacrificing her will and her wants to my life. We are constantly pressed upon to be humble with one another, to forgive one another. It's what it looks like to be in a Christian marriage. And each one of us, each one of us married a sinner. And for 28 years, we be, with each passing year, I just say this with all honesty, with each passing year, we become more and more aware, not just of the sin of the other, but we become more and more aware of our own sinfulness. We become more and more aware of our own brokenness. And when that happens, we need to be ready to sacrifice and to show humility and to demonstrate and receive forgiveness from the other. Romans 12, Paul says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. When you're married, you can't just pretend to love the other person. That doesn't doesn't work. It's not reality. And Jesus sets this example for us perfectly by sacrificing his life in humility and offering us forgiveness, despite knowing that we were going to continue to sin. Just as I said a few minutes ago, in Joe's particular situation, that didn't catch God off guard. Our sin does not surprise God. Our sin does not surprise God. God did not send Jesus to the, cro- to the cross not knowing that we were going to sin after that. God sent Jesus anyway. Jesus willingly went to the cross knowing that we were going to sin. And we have the opportunity every day as as a married couple to live out love and humility and acceptance and sacrifice. Every single day we have that opportunity. Here's the third Marriage is the foundation for all of human society. Marriage, family, church, and nation. Many years ago, I, I was reading this magazine called Relevant Magazine. And there was, a, there was an article in this magazine about gay marriage. And there was a quote in this article that that I've, I've never forgotten. And it says, said this, Christians should stop judging the speck of homosexual marriage in the eye of our culture when they, Christians, have the log of heterosexual divorce in their own. Does that offend you? Are you bothered by that? I didn't know what to do when I read that. And I think it's so easy for us to peer out into culture and to judge our culture for their non-Christian brokenness. 
and ignore the brokenness of ourselves. It's not about having perfect marriages. My, even though we have been married for 28 years, our marriage is not perfect. It's not perfect. It's not about having perfect marriages. It's about having marriages that are honoring to God. And if we, as Christians, want to make a difference in the way our culture views marriage, if we want to reorient our culture's faulty view of marriage, then we have to start by making a difference in our own marriages. We have to start with us. If we want to shape the culture, which that's our game. If we want to shape the culture, then that starts what we do at home. And, And you don't have to be married for this. So this is, this is not only a message for married couples today or married people today. This is a marriage, or this is a, this is a conversation for everyone. If we want to change the culture, we have to be different. We have to be obedient to what God is calling us to. It's our responsibility. It's our role to shape the culture by us being different. Here's the fourth reason. Marriage transforms us spiritually. When husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, giving up his life for her, sacrificing his wants and will for God's good and her welfare, loving her as he loves himself, he'll be transformed spiritually. That trans- when I love my wife in this way, I am transformed spiritually because of that, because of what God is doing through me. I am transformed when I love my wife in the way that Scripture tells me to. And when wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Jesus, she will be transformed spiritually. We're going to talk far more about this later this year when we talk, about, talk through the, um, the book of Ephesians. But spiritual transformation is what happens when we love each other with genuine affection, not when we're faking it. If we want to be spiritually transformed by our spouse or by other people, by our small group leader, by our close friends who are Christians, then we have to love one another genuinely, with genuine affection. And marriage gives us the opportunity. If you're married, you know this. You have the opportunity every day to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. We have the opportunity to do that. So marriage is also God's plan to fill the earth. And as much as the Great Commission is going out and making disciples of all nations, this starts in our homes. This starts at home. The person who isn't going to tell their own family about Jesus is never going to do it outside the walls of their home. They're never going to do it. They're never going to do it. So what we want to try and do here at Westway Christian Church is talk about how can we equip you as, as parents to proclaim Jesus at home. Because that's where it starts. D.L. Moody says this, If I wanted to find out whether a man is a Christian, I wouldn't go to his minister. 
I would go and ask his wife. There was only women laughing there. I tell you, we want more home piety right now. If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him talk about Christianity. This, this starts at home. All of the way we want to proclaim Jesus and bring people to him, we have to be doing this at home. And lastly, marriage is a metaphor for Christ in the church. In Ephesians 5, Paul also quotes Genesis 2.24. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So, not lastly, not finally, because it's not important, but I think, I think this is probably the most important. Marriage is a metaphor for Christ in the church. A few weeks ago, I performed um, the wedding ceremony for Calden and Amanda, Amanda Meininger, and here's what I told them, and This is what I want to set before each one of you who are married and who don't want to be married. I want to ask you these questions, and again, these are in the bulletin. When people look at your marriage today, what will they learn and know about Christ and his church? So when you go as a married couple, when you go and do whatever it is you're going to do today, maybe you're going to go grocery shopping or go out to eat or go home or be around friends and family, you're going to be around people who are going to be looking at you. And what does, what does you, when they see you, when they see your marriage, what will they learn and know about Christ and his church? Is your marriage going to magnify or is it going to minimize Christ and his church today? The way you interact with one another, the way others see you interacting, is that going to magnify or minimize Christ and his church? I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on you, but, the, but this is what this metaphor means for us. How is your marriage today going to point to Jesus as the hope of the world? How are you going to live this out? What will people think about God's love when they see your marriage? This would be a really great thing for you to sit down if you're married with your spouse, if you're engaged with your other, if you're in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Like, this would be a really good thing for you to sit down and have this conversation and talk about. How are we doing these things? Like every other commandment, this one is not simply what it says. Marriage is more than a piece of paper that has a signature on it, or living with someone who who makes me happy or who completes me. It's not meant to be entered into lightly. And Jesus is going to hold us accountable for our commitment. Let's talk about the rest of Matthew 19. After Jesus told the Pharisees of God's original purpose, they asked a new question. Well, if if that's the case... Why did Moses say that a man could give his wife a notice of divorce? And Jesus' answer shows how seriously he takes marriage. Moses said that because you have hard hearts. The reason that, that, that we can divorce other people 
that this was permitted in the Old Testament is because we have hard hearts, because we're sinners, because we don't want to do what God says, because we don't want to follow the plan that he sets up for us. We want to do our own thing. We want to missionary marry, right? Because I know if I marry this person, eventually they're going to become a Christian. That is such the exception. I can actually think of only one instance where that's ever happened. And I can think of dozens of instances where it's gone the other way. See, we've, we've taken what God has commanded us regarding marriage and we've gone and done our own thing. So as a concession to us, God has allowed us the ability to divorce. Jesus wasn't done. Because of your wickedness, you look for an escape clause, and this wasn't God's plan. If you divorce your wife and marry someone else, you're committing adultery unless your wife has been unfaithful. Sounds really harsh. Sounds not nice. This is 2000, Jesus. This is 2019. Lighten up. And it offended the, the disciples. What did they say? Well, if that's true, it's better not to marry. And shockingly, Jesus agrees with them. Shockingly, Jesus agrees with them. Yes, not everyone can accept this. Only those whom God helps. Eunuchs from birth and eunuchs at the hand of the others. And there are some who choose not to marry for God's kingdom. Accept this if you can. This is one of the things I love about Jesus is he just like, he just like lays it out. He just sets the table for you. And says, if you want to eat, then eat. This is what it looks like to be in my kingdom. And I think for us, I think for Christians, it's time that we stop playing around with marriage. I think we take it as seriously as God takes it. And Jesus is right. If you're not going to honor marriage, then don't do it. If you're not going to honor marriage, then don't do it. Well, if all that's marriage, what's adultery? It's not just a sexual act outside of wedlock, although that's part of it. It's really any violation of what God intended marriage to be. It's not taking the role and the responsibility of marriage seriously. And maybe some of us are thinking, that's a really bold statement, John. Well, can you think about any time in Scripture when God gives a good gift and it's used wrongly that it's not a sin? For us to not utilize marriage in the way that it was supposed to be utilized is sinful. And I would say that that's adultery. It's not just a sexual act. And I hope that I have generated a ton of tension for you. I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to leave here a little unsettled, whether you're a Christian or not, because, because it's time for us, especially Christians, it's time for us to be bothered by what Jesus has to say about certain topics. It's time for us to be bothered about that. If you're a Christian today and you're in a marriage that's not honoring God, the answer is not divorce. The answer is not adultery, whether it's physical adultery or emotional adultery or mental adultery. 
It's honest repentance and acknowledgement that what you're doing is sinful and is harmful to your relationship with God and with other people. The answer is to seek Christ and his will for your life. Last week when I was, when I went to church in Minnesota, I heard the pastor say this. If you want to do, if you want what normal families have, do what normal families do. If you want few families have, do what few families do. And if you're not a Christian today, I hope that what you're hearing is just a hint of why this matters to us so much. I hope that you are hearing why marriage matters to us today. And I also have this to say to non-Christians. I'm sorry that we have misrepresented marriage to you. I'm sorry that we have represented marriage poorly to you. I'm sorry that we've not allowed you to see who Jesus is through our marriage. I'm sorry for the poor example that we've set. And I hope that you will I hope that you will forgive us and that you will see what Christ's desire is for your life. I hope that what you'll see as a response to this is Christians who are in marriages that aren't honoring to God. I hope that you'll see Christians who repent and choose to live their lives differently and that will compel you to want to know more about Jesus. Because I know that there are some other situations in our church body where there were some, some marriages in some really deep, deep, deep trouble. And the only thing that got them out was Jesus Christ. And having conversations with them, he's the one they point to. Not what they did but what Jesus did. So I hope that what you might see as a response to this is is a group of Christians who want to take this seriously and are different because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. God, we want to honor you with our lives. Whether we're married or not, we want to honor you with our lives. We want to live in accordance to what your book says what your word says. Because we know it's the path to life. As Christians, as we read and understand Scripture, we see that the path to life is obedience. Living out your loving commands for us brings life, reveals life. For those of us who are, who are Christians, God, we, wanna, we need to get serious about our marriages. We need to have the kind of marriages that bring you honor and bring you glory because the world is watching and they are judging you based on the way we are with one another as husband and wife. And maybe that sounds a little overblown to us, but that's what it means to be an image of Christ and the church. So may they look at our marriages and judge you well. God, for those who are not followers of Jesus in this room, I pray that this message really bugs them. 
And I pray for conversation with them, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't leave mad, but that they would desire to be in conversation. That they would see what your desires are for our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.